Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. Um, if you're not familiar where to find the book of Ruth, it is in the first third of your Bible and comes right after the book of Judges, um, which we spent a little bit of time explaining and discussing last week as we began, uh, as we began, uh, I guess, our introduction to beginning the book of uh, Ruth, right? That um, we find Ruth tucked away in this uh, at this point in time in history in which uh, the people have been doing um, what is right in their own eyes. There is um, great sin among God's people, uh, rebellion from his, from his instruction, from his statutes, from his desires. Um, and as a result, as we come into Ruth chapter 1, we see, um, we see this family led by the husband Elimelech flee from the city of bread because of the famine that has, uh, that is taking place there in order to go to, uh, Moab. Right? And we said last week that this is a huge deal because Moab is um, this 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 area, this city that is historically understood to be very anti things of God, right? Um, they are a a people who were born out of an incestuous relationship. They are a pagan people who offer uh, praise and worship and adoration to a false god. And it is a big deal that you've got this family from Bethlehem residing in this land that they have received as a result of God's covenant keeping. Flee to go to the land of Moab. Right. Really, really big deal. And we see in chapter one just chaos um, ensue through the first portion of uh, the book as Elimelech dies. The two sons die, having taken for themselves Moabite wives. And we find three widows. Right, we find a mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law, and not to go back and to preach Ruth chapter one all over again, um, but uh, through the course of the first chapter, we are able to observe uh, the kindness of the Lord that leads, as we sang just a moment ago, His people unto repentance. Right, we um, see Ruth. Uh, turn back um, to the Lord and return uh, to uh, the city of Bethlehem, and with her comes Ruth. And as Ruth is, is beginning this, this journey with, uh, with Naomi, she uh, makes a profession of faith, right? She um, says to Ruth, essentially, right, that, that your God is now is now my God, and that in that and through her travels with Naomi, we are able to observe Genuine repentance and faith. This is what it looks like. And it's all a result of the kindness of the Lord. And so we closed out our time together last week with the following exhortation. Right? This was our response. I don't do this all the time. But I feel like because we are going through the book of Ruth so quickly, it's helpful to look back not only at where the story begins, but also kind of where we concluded our time. What was the call as we concluded our time in Ruth chapter 1 last week? What's the intended response? Well, it was to see the kindness of God in Christ, to look to him, to repent, to turn from sin, and to trust in his great sufficiency, to observe his glorious goodness and grace, and bless the name of the Lord with our lives, to live our lives blessing the name of the Lord. And that's where we concluded our time together last week. And then this morning, we come into chapter 2. And again, this is going to be a quick series through the book of Ruth. We're going to be reading all of chapter 2 um, today, and that will be our, our, primary, our primary text. 
And so what are we going to uh, observe as we, as we begin our time uh, this morning? Well, it is this. And, and if you take notes, I would encourage you to write these four things down. One main idea and then three observations that we're going to make from our text. We see that our covenant-keeping God satisfies the needy, extending favor to the foreigner. Our covenant-keeping God satisfies the needy, extending favor to the foreigner. Three observations that we're going to make as we approach this passage this morning. We're going to observe God's provision. God's provision. We're going to look at God's people. What does it look like to live as a transformed people? What does it look like to live as a people who have been, who have been transformed and transferred as a result of God's great kindness, generosity, and grace? We're going to talk about that. And then the last thing that we're going to observe is this, this foreshadowing to the great redemption of God. We see a type in this story. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, we're going to, we're going to build that up as we go. And so don't, um, don't, don't be too concerned. Concerned um, just yet. Um, and so let's go to Ruth chapter 2 um, and let's read uh, Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, all the way through the end. What a, what a wonderful opportunity this morning to again read God's word. This is God's living word. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Man, what a a kind greeting, right, among these guys. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Of course, referencing Ruth. And the servant uh, who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on uh, the field that they are not reaping, and then go after them. I have not charged, uh, or I have, I'm sorry, I ha- have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. There's this reputation that has developed, isn't there? And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given 
you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have, uh, you have um, comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. He passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephra of barley. That's roughly 30 pounds. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So what she had eaten earlier on brought some back to go plate, right, um, to Naomi. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? This is incredible. Where did you go? Where have you been where have you been working? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, "The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz." Now we're going to see some connections that are made in verses 20 through 23. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, least in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Hey, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your... Your goodness, thank you for your kindness, observable in Ruth chapter 2. We pray that as we come to this passage this morning that we might again do so with humble hearts, that we might do so desiring to, to learn more about you and what you have done, what you have done both in this story and what you have done in the story, the story of redemptive history. We love you and we're grateful, Father, for your steadfast covenant-keeping love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Our covenant-keeping God satisfies the needy, extending favor to the foreigner. I want us to look and observe first this morning God's great provision over the course of our first few verses Together Now, in Ruth chapter 1, we need to go back and we need to be reminded of that which we said last week really serves as a hinge point for the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, we are introduced to what is perhaps the most important words observable in this book. 
They show to us what God is doing within the hearts of of people. We observe in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this prayer from Naomi over Orpha and Ruth. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May, may, the Lord, uh, may the Lord grant you rest. This is the prayer over Orpha and Naomi that leads us into this, this confession from Ruth in verse 16 in which she says, Your people will be my people and your God my God. That which is central to the story. Today, this morning, in Ruth chapter 2, we see this continued unfolding of God's plan to meet the needs of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, in response to the prayer that we see in verses 8 and 9 of Ruth chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to observe God answering this prayer from Naomi for Ruth and Orpha in the life of Ruth and Naomi from two levels. Okay, so think back, look back with me, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this prayer of Naomi over her daughters-in-law. This morning, we're going to see how God continues to unpack and unfold his providential plan that serves as a response to, an answer to the prayer of Naomi in verses 8 and 9. We're going to look at it from two levels. First, from the human level, and then from the divine level. First from the human level, and then from the divine. Let's begin from the human perspective. How the Lord answers the prayer of Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. From the perspective of the characters in this story, there is little to no knowledge of what God is doing. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about from a, from a human perspective. That we're almost on this journey with Ruth and Naomi as God's goodness and generosity and providence serves to surprise them. And lead them into great joy. From from the human perspective, as this story is being told, from, from Ruth's perspective and Naomi's perspective, there is this inability... For them to, to fully know, understand, and comprehend that which God is doing. Right? Because we know how this works. We can say the same thing is true for you and I. There, there's, limited, there's limited perspective because we are limited in terms of what we know and what we see. Right? We get glimpses of it every now and then, don't we? Think about the way that we watch movies. You watch movies and you observe important scenes that take place in the movie early on. But because your perspective is limited, you don't fully understand the implications of that moment Over the course of the rest of the story. But there is a point that comes in which you you go back and you go, oh my gosh. Like that was a huge moment. That was a huge point. That was really important. And I didn't even fully understand all of its implications as I observed it the first time. That's what we mean when we talk about from a human perspective. And for you and I, we connect with this because this is where we live, isn't it? We can express a degree of confidence in God's, in God's plan, in God's provision, in God's purpose, but our, our sight is limited. Right? We don't fully understand, grasp, or comprehend what God is doing oftentimes, and yet we continue forward. Right? We continue on. But there's also this perspective 
observable in the book of Ruth from the author and narrator. Right? The, the author of the book of Ruth, Ruth is privy to information that we are not privy to, right? And there are times in which we see almost a split screen of sorts taking place. From the author's perspective, we, we see one who has a higher vantage point, right? Who can, who can trace the story from the beginning to the end and in doing so observe God's hand at work. We talk about reading the Bible this way, don't we? We talk about reading the Bible this way a lot. We say that if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, where do you begin? Where do you start? Well, here's where I would encourage you to start. Read the first four chapters of the book, the Bible, and then go and read the last two chapters of this book. And then go back and read it all in light of what we know about where it begins and where it ends. Right? It provides this higher perspective. For us, it provides this, this point of view in which we're really able to track God's hand working providentially in time and space to bring about His will and desire. That's what we're saying. Okay, do you guys get this? There's a human perspective and then there is a divine perspective. Right? In spite of and even through difficulty, God brings salvation and conformity into the image of the eternal and anticipated King Jesus. As we have this in mind and we approach the Bible, it drastically transforms the way that we read and understand it, doesn't it? Or when we understand what God is doing, when we understand how, as we said last week, the Lord makes bitter things sweet, how we encounter and experience difficulty and trial, and through these things, our great God serves to transform us into the image of his beloved son. This is what he does. This is how he works. And as we understand this, and then we step into the story, we begin to get these glimpses, right? It's almost like uh, like watching a chess game happen, right? Where you kind of know the way that it ends before it starts, and you're watching the pieces move, and you're going, yeah, that's going to be really big. Like, that's going to be a big point. That's going to be a turning point in this whole thing, right? That's what we see going on as we come into Ruth chapter 2. I love what John Flavel said when he said this. The providence of God can only be read backwards. We oftentimes don't understand God's working in the moment. But as we reflect back, we're able to see how he has been moving the pieces to bring about good for his people and glory to his name. Right? This is how it it works. This is how it functions. In verse 1, we are introduced to a new character in the story. And from a human perspective, right, we see actually through the middle portion and the tail end that there is this lack of full knowledge and comprehension. But from the author's point of view, there's a greater comprehension that he calls us into by way of the way that he writes verse 1. Look at verse 1 with me. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so what is the author doing here as we read and observe that which is recorded in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1? Well, he's drawing our attention towards this character. He's drawing our attention towards Boaz, and he's leveraging a writing style in a way that says to you and I, hey, keep your eyes on this guy, 
right? Keep your eyes on Boaz. He is going to serve to be a really important character, not only in this story, but in the story, right? You keep your eyes on, on Boaz. Boaz. It's, he's going to be really important as we progress forward. Now, this is most helpful to understand as it again informs our understanding of God's work in and through this story and in and through our lives. There's an emphasis on, in verse 1, the divine hand of God that works within the surprising. God's hand working within the surprising. Look at verse 2 with me. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, and so we've got a scene shift that takes place. Right? Like, here's Boaz. Like, keep your eyes on him. Now, boom. Like, flash over to the other scene. Split screen type thing happening here, right? Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I find favor. And she, being Naomi, says to her, being Ruth, go. Go. And so, Ruth goes out to gather food, for she... And Naomi. This is, this is gleaning. Okay, she's going out to glean. Now, we might be a bit unfamiliar with terminology like this. And so what does it mean to glean? Well, well at its simplest form, it is to gather food. Right? She's going out to, to glean and gather food. And as we, as we observe this um, provision laid in the, uh, in the Old Testament scriptures leading up to where we find ourselves this morning in Ruth, we see that gleaning, gathering food is ultimately a display of God's great love and concern. And in fact, gleaning and, and gathering is this, this piece of instruction that the Lord has provided to those who are needy and those who have much in order to display his love and concern for the marginalized and the oppressed. And in fact, God has given his people a law about the poor gathering food from the fields of the affluent. You can find it in Leviticus chapter 19 and 23. The Lord providing instruction within his law for the affluent that serves to meet the basic needs of the poor and impoverished, the marginalized, and those that are in the greatest need. And he does so in order to display his great generosity. What do we learn about God through verses 1 and 2? Well, we learn that he uh, works like providentially outside of time and space, that his perspective is grander than our perspective. Which is helpful, right? It's helpful for us to, to get and to, and to rest in. But we also learn that there is this care and concern for those who are in great need from the Lord. And that he makes provision for them. And that he uses his people in order to do so. Now that proves to be really important in terms of informing our understanding of what it looks like to live as a Christian here and now, right? How the gospel informs our lives, how we are commissioned for mission, how we are empowered to live on mission in order to, in order to take the good news and the hope of the gospel. This news of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection that brings about restoration between humanity and God and humanity and one another, right? To meet the needs of those who are most 
needy. The gospel informs this. In the same way that we observe it from a New Testament perspective, we can observe it from an Old Testament perspective as well, which tells us that God hasn't changed. Okay, that's important, right? That God has not changed. God gives a law that enables the needy to gather food in an effort to meet the physical needs of those who are without. And so what does this look like practically, right? What is it? We get what gleaning is, and we, we understand now that Ruth and Naomi have this conversation in which they say, essentially, I'm hungry, how about you? Yeah, I'm hungry too. Awesome, let's go and let's glean because our God has made provision for us. Sweet, I'll go find a field to glean in. What does it look like practically as they begin to practice this? Well, we see that the needy find a field and that these farmers of the field, those who own the lands, would leave for those who are in the most need a border around their fields, essentially framing off the field. They would leave margins around their fields for the poor to come and gather so that they could also have food. It was preparation made by God's people. Right? And in addition to their giving to the Lord that served to meet the needs and glorify the Father. And so Ruth, this new Yahweh worshiper, right? Let's remember what we observed in chapter 1, goes out confident in the favor of God and his commitment to meet the needs of his people, even though she is new to this thing. Isn't this incredible? One of the things that I wished that I had said last week that I didn't, um, and so this is my opportunity, right? This is why pastors have blogs, and they write on Monday morning to say all the things they couldn't say on Sunday, right? You guys get that? So um, in Ruth chapter 1, we observe a, a, a pagan woman who at certain points looks to be more like one of God's people than the God's people do, right? Like, isn't that incredible how that happens, right? There's, there's points in time in which Ruth appears to show and display more confidence in the Lord than, than Naomi does, right? And we get this picture here as, as Ruth says, okay, I'm going out and I'm confident in the favor of God and his commitment to me the needs of his people of whom I am now one. This is incredible. We transition into verse 3. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Here he is again. Right? His name's been highlighted already and so we're looking for it as we come into verse 3. Who was of the clan of Elimelech? And we're going to talk about how important that is as we close our time out looking at God's redemption and this type that Boaz serves to be. But there is this sense in which the author, he writes this in a beautiful way. Because as he writes, as, as we dive into and seek to understand to a greater degree that which is recorded in Ruth chapter 2, we actually see that he embraces what, what we, we might refer to as like happenstance, while at the same time grasping hold of God's providence. Right? He, he, he almost writes it in a way in which it's like, yeah, Ruth, she was going to glean, and she just happened to find herself in this field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Can you believe it? What a surprising shift in the story. I love the way that the author writes, because it says that we're able to do both of those things at the same time. 
right? That from the human perspective, right, from the one level, we go, wow, what a coincidence, Right, look how the universe has, has smiled upon me. Look at how karma has manifested itself in my life. And then there's also this divine perspective that we bring to the story in culture and among culture, in which we go, no, it has nothing to do with the universe and its love for you right? or, or karma, but it has everything to do with who God is. Right, that we can talk about the happenstance, the coincidence, and use these things to point towards the care. The power of our creator. That's the way that the author that the author writes. And so what do we need to know? Well, big picture, we can know this. Let's bring this home. Okay, let's go from 30,000 down to like ground floor for just a moment. Let's relate. Okay, we, we will experience surprises in our lives. We'll experience surprises in our, in our lives, and some will be good, and some will at least initially appear as not so good. What we observe through the book of Ruth is this call to see the hand of God working. Right? To, to see the hand of God working to the glory of his name and the good of his people in the mundane, and get this, the monumental, right? These seemingly insignificant moments, as well as those that we are all writing home about. Our need is to approach these with this understanding that God is at work, that we are being called into an observance of God's hand working in every moment. How do we live our lives as God's people? We are called into an observance of God's hand working in every moment and over every inch of creation. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, within this reality and comfort as the backdrop of the narrative, the story continues. And so we see God's provision and it's just we're just scratching the surface. Right, We're just scratching the surface in this book, and in this book, we know that God's provision extends far beyond the meeting of the needs of the poor and impoverished, but that it must meet the needs of the poor and impoverished, right? That that is a part of the story, that that is the way that God functions, and that is the way God works, because God has a heart for people, that God has a heart for the nation. We see God's provision on, on one level, but then we go to back up 30,000 feet, right? Like we're in an airplane here, guys. Like we're up here, and then we're down here, and then we're up here again. And so hang with me. Right? But then also there is this, this greater provision that is, that is in need of being met. Right? That, that God is displaying through this story a tiny sliver of this much bigger pie of his provision for his people. And we're going to talk more about that as we work towards God's redemption. But let's look now at God's people. Look with me at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, he, he, he greets them as though they are in a worship service. 
if it were at all confused about what it looks like to, to be a boss, right, and to be one of God's people, or to be a coworker and be one of God's people, man, may it be informed by what we see in Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. Boaz walks in on Monday morning and he says, man, the Lord, the Lord be with you guys, right? The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Man, you talk about, like, productivity in the workforce and drastically improving when we begin to relate with one another with such authenticity and care. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Verse 5, then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, hey, whose young woman is this? Obviously observing Ruth gleaning. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she came in and she said to us, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and, dude, she has been busting it. Right? She has been continuing from early morning until now, except for like this short rest, right? In the heat of the day, right? Getting out of the sun, resting a hair, right? Like, she has really been working hard. Then Boaz, he gets in on the conversation. He is intrigued, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Boaz is intrigued, and he goes to Ruth, and he says, Now listen, my daughter, do you go to glean in another field or leave this one? But hey, keep close to my young women. They uh, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. For I've charged the, the young guys, hey, don't touch her, right? Don't touch, don't touch the new girl, right? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I mean, this is it, grace, 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 grace. It's just all over this. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. She recognizes it and says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? This is what a humble posture looks like. Right, when we pray for a humble posture as we come into this time of worship, gathered together with God's people, singing praises to his name, right, worshiping with our attentiveness through the reading of his word, this is what it looks like. There's this recognition, right? There's this recognition of the grace that has been extended. In light of this realization, this understanding of who I am, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Little does she know, perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's unpacking itself, that God meets the needs of the foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother, your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. Now, this, hey, there's a reputation, right, that Ruth has. News has traveled within the community. Did you hear about the Moabite, right, who, who left, like, family, friends, community, everything that she has always known to come into this region in which she knows no one except, well, you know, like, bitter old, like, Naomi, right? She has a reputation among the people. And from Boaz's perspective, we see that there is something attractive about Ruth's loyalty and kindness. In verse 11, I have heard that you are a godly woman and that you love God and his, and his, uh, and his, 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 uh, uh, loyalty has been produced in your life. Ruth, uh, is displaying attributes already listed by Peter in his first letter. 
consistent with women in pursuit of God's heart. Listen to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But let your adorning be, hid, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There's something that is attractive about this, right? Verse 5, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. We see here that the spirit produces within people qualities such as gentleness and peace. Observable. Attractive, noticeable, that which stands out and is completely and utter distinct from that which is observable in the rest of society. In the case of Ruth and in 1 Peter chapter 3, women. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. In Ruth's case, these qualities are evident in the way that she responds to harsh providences. Life has been Certainly to a degree challenging for both Ruth and Naomi up until this point, especially in recent years. And yet in light of this, what might initially appear to be dark providence from the Lord, we see this continued faithfulness from Ruth. Right? We, we observe it. We can take note of it. We read of it. And we can see it. She has recognized and submitted herself to the hand of God in and through the difficult circumstances. She has heard and trusted in the covenant word of God. This tells us something, right? This tells us what the way that we live our lives. It's informed by what we see in Ruth chapter 2. Right, that we are a people who, in spite of difficult circumstances, remain fixated on our God and King. Right, that we, we continue to look to Him and we, and we trust Him. This is challenging and this is difficult and this is where we need the Spirit of God indwelling the people of God. We need the people of God encouraging the people of God. Because life is challenging and oftentimes situations and circumstances that are most difficult seem to totally engulf us. And yet there is, we observe through this scene, opportunity for continued faithfulness. In each case, it is clear that grace has transformed the character and disposition of those being discussed. Right With Ruth and Boaz, their walk is different. The way they talk is different. The way that they react to hardship, it's all different. Let's identify a few of those points. Verse 4, the way that, the way that Boaz greets his employees, noticeably different. And everybody's saying, I wish my boss was here this morning. The Lord be with you, right? In verse 4, the way his employees respond is noticeably different. And we do have a bunch of employees in the house this morning. And so our theology of work is informed by what we observe in verse 4. In verses 8 through 16, we see the kindness of Boaz to Ruth. Stay in my field, verse 8. Stay close to my young women, verse 8. When you're thirsty, go and drink, verse 9. And you know what? Yeah, hey, why don't you just come and eat now, right? Bread and wine, verse 14. Roasted grain, eat and be satisfied. There's a noticeable 
difference. There's a different disposition among these people. These are characters who have been transformed. Again, Sinclair Ferguson writes, The real evidence of character and the ultimate test of spiritual maturity. Okay, so litmus test here. We all want to like... Just see how we're doing, right? Here we go. Here it is. Is not how someone reacts to the great, to the famous, the rich, or the noble, but to the marginalized, the unnoticed, the poor, the struggling, and the needy. It's not who you know, but the need of whom you care. This is the real measure of men and women. And certainly, here it is, here it is, certainly the measure of those who serve Christ. We observe powerful, God-centered, God-informed, God-empowered relationship in Ruth chapter 2. True, authentic care and genuineness. In verse 7, we see the way that Ruth works and pursues the favor of the Lord. Right, think back to the prayer of Naomi in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This prayer for the favor of the Lord right, to, to be realized in Ruth's life. And then here we see Ruth, and I'm just imagining her, right, with like, like tall rubber boots on, like going through the fields, like gleaning and gathering, like hauling around this satchel of 30 pounds of grain. Man, Ruth is, and she is, she is working it. This is the effect of our work from a gospel-centered perspective. It glorifies God. Right, we don't walk away from this passage going, man, look at God's people and how incredible they are. But we go, man, look at God and how he transforms the human heart. How he, he produces within the human heart, not, not this desire for, for selfish gain, but great generosity and, and humility, right? Receptiveness to his gifts. Man, think about this. One of the hardest things in this life is to be served. And here we see Ruth understanding the way that God works through the provision of his people to meet needs. And she is grateful for it. She is generous for it. Grateful to God. Grateful to God. And, and generous in that she, she's even considering taking all, I mean, all this time to Naomi. She continues to care for her mother-in-law. God's people are transformed. The gospel transforms people. God's grace, God's kindness transforms people. They look different. We look different. We work different, right? We, we boss different, right? We look different. This is what the gospel does. It transforms us. It's practical. It's practical. It transforms our hearts. transforms our actions. Let's continue on. Lastly, God's redemption in verses 17 through 20. Look with me at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She continues, right? She's still there. She's working. It's getting dark. They're turning the lights off. Everybody's got to go home. She's still gleaning. Finally, she goes home. She beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephra of barley. Again, 30 pounds, 18 
And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And so we see that there's a neediness, there's a receptiveness to the generosity of God by way of the generosity of God's people. And then immediately there's generosity, right? Like she is immediately practicing the same generosity that she has been a recipient of herself. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. Okay, so now here it is. Here's where the curtain finally is pulled back. And in verse 1, hey, keep your eye on this guy. Here we go in verse 2. And then continuing on, we see it beginning to come together. But here in verses 17 through 20, we see that Naomi is is brought into this, right? And the full implications of, of Ruth to gleaning in the field of Boaz comes to light for these two. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. Man, the Lord, the Lord has been faithful. Right? The Lord has, has demonstrated his faithfulness. He is, he is blessing his people. His kindness has has been extended to them. And there's this recognition now from Naomi, whereas before there was still this repentance and this return in light of this greater understanding of the kindness of God manifesting itself among his people. Here it becomes real for her, right? The kindness of God and its effects on their lives. In Ruth 2 we begin seeing an adjustment to the new normal. Right? The, the new normal from Ruth and Naomi. And then we see all of this intersect with the faithfulness of Boaz and the faithfulness of God. As we observe in Boaz, a grace-filled life committed to the word of the Lord. A foreigner, verse 10, finds favor as Boaz opens not only the margins, remember that which was set aside by God's people in God's word to meet the needs of those who were without, but he welcomes her fully into the story, right? Hey, let's just not keep her on the margins, but allow her to come in and to just gather. And you guys pull some stuff out and leave it for her, right? Like this isn't, hey, that's your area. You guys stay, you stay out there. But this is a welcoming in that's taking place over the course of this story. In verse 12, we see a second prayer of sorts. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now this all relates back and it drives us back to this idea of God's redemption. As we are now introduced formally to the kinsman redeemer. The the one who is able to care for and meet the needs and continue the line for the family. God makes a promise. This is incredible. In Genesis chapter 3. We were here this past weekend. Let's go there again. Let's just go there every week. Can we commit to do that together? Let's go to Genesis 3 every week. 
In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there is this promise following the rebellion of God's, of God's creation, Adam and Eve. There's a promise from God following their fall to redeem them by way of the seed of the woman who would bruise the head, crush the head of the enemy. Now we know in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that this is the proto-evangelium. This is the first proclamation of the gospel and it points us to Christ. It's all about Jesus and it's all about the cross and it's all about the resurrection. The means by which God would accomplish this purpose to glorify his name and to rescue his people. Stay with me. This is important. God's promise in Genesis chapter 3 is ultimately about Jesus. But we see God sustain this promise and progress this promise over the course of hundreds of years in what at times seem to be insurmountable circumstances. You don't have to go far. Right? You come into Genesis chapter 4 and you see Cain's murder of Abel and you go, how in the world? How in the world are a people going to be developed? How in the world is this seed going to come and crush the evil that we observe all around us? How is this going to happen? It, can God do this? Can God pull this off? And yet again and again and again and again, we see the Lord prove himself faithful to develop, to sustain a people, to grow a people. And the kinsman redeemer is a means by which God accomplishes this purpose. And so the kinsman redeemer is this, that if you're a wife, right, and your husband dies and you have no children, there is opportunity for you to be married to a close relative of your deceased husband, in order that he might meet the needs of the family, that he might provide for you, right? that he might keep you, that he might protect you, and that the name might continue. Why is that so important? Well, because God promises in Genesis 3.15 that the seed is coming. Right? It begins, with, begins right there and. You know, Seth, right, it continues on. We see God call Abraham into, into covenant community with him, that he would give him and from him a nation would develop that would outnumber the sands or the stars. God is faithful to accomplish his plan and purposes. And the Redeemer is a means by which God accomplishes this. But it all points ultimately to Jesus. And there's an emphasis. There's an emphasis in this in verse 12. There's a recognition from Boaz's perspective that Naomi and Ruth have come back to Bethlehem to find refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. It reminds us of what we see in Psalm 91 verse 4. This promise that he will cover you with his, his portions. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. In this scene, Boaz is best seen as a type. He is a type of refuge. He is a type of redeemer, verse 20. But we see that Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of this. Ruth and Naomi, protection and provision physically. But it's all coming to a spiritual head. In Jesus, protection and provision spiritually. In Jesus, God's judgment on sin. In Jesus, eternal security. In Jesus, the gift of the covenant.
comforter through faith. We see, by way of God's provision, God's people, and God's redemption, that our covenant-keeping God satisfies the needs of the needy. Right? And he extends favor to the foreigner. We see ourselves in this story. We are foreigners. Right? We are foreigners who, by God's grace, have been called and adopted into the family. Right? That our needs are met in Christ. Our needs are met in Christ. Our needs are met in Christ. As we see our creator Jesus enter into his creation. Right? He, is, he is treated not only as a foreigner, but he is hated. He is stricken and he is rejected as the suffering servant so that we might be treated with kindness by God in this life and the next. God rescues us. God rescues us from the margins. Right? He rescues us from the margins and he, he brings us into the fold as his children. He provides hope and joy for his covenant people. Marginalized in this life, don't be mistaken, we will be and are, it will continue and we ought to expect it. But in it all we have much joy in Jesus and through Jesus is found provision for the foreigner. In Jesus and through Jesus is found provision for the foreigner, you and I, our needs and desires are satisfied. We are filled and our joy is fulfilled. As we, three things to close, and I'm just going to rattle them off. Write these down. You're like, yeah, right, sure, whatever. As we look to and confess Christ, our joy is fulfilled. Our joy is fulfilled as we look to and confess Christ. That's number one. Number two. As we grow in grace, embracing sanctification and conformity into Christ's image. What is it that makes our joy full? Like, that's a pride, like, I don't care, like, wherever you are this morning, like, like, that is a practical question. Like, what is it that makes my joy full? This is what we're unpacking here. This is what we're identifying. And we say that it begins and that it ends with Jesus. It begins with this confession. It begins with this profession. And then it ventures into this growing in grace. We embrace sanctification and we embrace conformity into the image of Christ. We say along with Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 3, I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. We look to and we confess Christ. We grow in grace. And lastly, we engage in mission. Right? We engage in mission where we live, right? where we work, and where we, where we play. Engaging with the psalmist as we, 47.1, clap our hands and shout to God with cries of joy. All, and here it is, here's where we close, last word, here it is. We shout to God with cries of joy in response to the redemption that we have received in our King. It all comes back to Jesus. He is our joy, he is our salvation, 
He sustains us. He keeps us. He redeems us. We're called out of the margins, and we are called into the fold. And we, as God's people this morning, celebrate this great truth together.